I'm Ethan Majok, and welcome to The Point. This week, a team of our reporters headed to Orlando and captured sounds from the one-year remembrance ceremonies at the Pulse nightclub and elsewhere around the city. We'll bring you a 90-second postcard marking one year since the nation's deadliest mass shooting. Also, what exactly is going on with the biomass purchase? Along with the Gainesville Sun, we hosted a one-hour forum so people could ask questions of city leadership about the looming transaction that's north of half a billion dollars. We'll replay for you some excerpts. And then, find out Florida. Someone wanted to know what the deal is with this stormwater assessment fee that Alachua County residents are going to have to pay starting next year. We've got the answer. But first, Orlando. Yelp review, Pulse. Prayers are easy. As if a god who planned this will siphon the blood from the dance floor back into the bullet wounds they came from if enough of you ask nicely. There are better things you can do with your hands. You know this, but yet you continue to barter. Shrug your shoulders when you don't get what you want until a name you know falls out of your mouth and you can't hear it over the wake of helicopters. We have always prepared for an active shooter, but this took on a life of its own. Uh, we went from active shooter to a hostage situation to a mercy uh, EOD response. So it was multiple hats the crews had to wear. So for us, it was the, the whole gamut of emotions of a war zone. I like to say it was an actual chaotic war zone. It's important to show the world that we're not scared to come back out and show the world how much love Orlando really has. That's one thing that surprised everyone after after the Bennett Pulse was how quickly Orlando was to show love. So to be here today, I personally I know quite a few friends that aren't ready to come out or don't feel comfortable coming out. So we're kind of representing for those people that can't come out and documenting everything. Um, but showing people that it, it is okay to come out if you feel like it, you know. After the Orlando shooting, we were sending these hearts out to show love always The city of Gainesville is poised to spend more than half a billion dollars to buy out the embattled biomass energy contract that will be in effect for more than 25 more years. The current offer price is $750 million, and negotiations are ongoing between Gainesville Regional Utilities and the Boston-based corporate owners of the Gainesville Renewable Energy Center. To answer the questions the public still has about the contract and the looming acquisition of the biomass plant, located just north of the city, we hosted a public forum this week with three city leaders. Gainesville Regional Utilities Manager Ed Bilarski, City Commissioner Harvey Budd, and Chair of the City's Utility Advisory Board, Darren Cook. Gainesville Sun Opinions Editor Nathan Crabb moderated the discussion. Here are the most compelling 30 or so minutes from that event. Hello, I'm Nathan Crabb. I'm an Opinion and Engagement Editor for the Gainesville Sun. I want to thank everyone for being here tonight as well as thank our panelists. Um, you know, we only have an hour or so to discuss um, pretty complicated issues. We're not going to get to all the issues and all the questions, but hopefully folks will uh, leave here with a better understanding of, of the pros and cons of the purchase, and, um, and that's what we're aiming for. Um, you know, when the contract to buy the power for the plant was signed in 2009, um, you know, there really wasn't the kind of public vetting that was needed to kind of uncover some of the problems that uh, came up later. So we're hoping that this can be part of a process to, um, to get all those concerns aired uh, well before the deal is finalized. So I thank you all for, uh, for participating in that process. 
without further ado, let's just, let's just meet the panel. I'm going to just introduce them briefly and have them um, say a little bit more about themselves and uh, their views on the uh, purchase of the uh, Grec Biomass plant. So let's start off with uh, Ed Bilarski, uh, General Manager of GRU. I'm Ed Bilarski, General Manager of GRU. I came here approximately two years ago, understood that we had a situation here uh, with the uh, Grec Biomass plant. I know it was my task to try to reduce that impact to the ratepayers of the uh, of GRU, and that has been what I've been trying to do for the past two years. Uh, do you want me to get into? Yeah, sure. Give, give an overview of, of, of the, uh, the purchase. Well, we have to understand the status quo. Nathan mentioned it. We had the contract was signed. We call it the PPA. It's a power purchase agreement. In 2009, uh, Grec, who is not affiliated with GRU, it's a third-party entity, um, has started commercial operations in December of 2013. And then folks at GRU, folks with the city, started to understand the full impact of the contract that had been signed. So, you know, nobody can quibble with the fact that we have this agreement. It was signed in 2009, went commercial operation in 2013. But how does that contract really work? And you need to understand that to know what we're trying to move for or towards with this contract. So there's two elements to the contract. Most people think of it as it runs and we pay for it, or it shuts down and we don't. Well, there's two, there's two elements. There's available energy that we pay for, and then there's delivered energy. Delivered energy is the simple concept. You know, when we dispatch them, in the power industry, we talk about dispatch. It means come up to full load or come up to minimum load. So we dispatch them. The, the amount of electrons that go through their meter and get delivered to GRU is their delivered energy. And we pay them their variable cost plus whatever the, um, the fuel costs are associated with that, and that's a pass-through. And that runs anywhere from $40 to $45 a megawatt. Since I've been on board, natural gas prices have been so low that we're looking at $30 on average buying off the grid. So for the last two years, most of two years, uh, the unit has been shut off. It's been in what we call cold standby. And that saved the customer's money. We've been able to reduce the, um, uh, the fuel adjustment on the customer's bill by 10%. But we haven't ha been able to do more than that because it's the other element of the uh, product that they deliver to us. It's called available energy. And what the heck is available energy, right? Available energy is literally Grex cost of ownership. It's their debt. It's their fixed costs. And they are entitled to available energy. Each day they call us up and say, we're available. And what they get paid is based on a test that they perform twice a year for six hours. It determines the level they get paid uh, in, in the uh, wintertime. And in the summer, it's 12 hours. And so every test that they perform has showed that they are available up to 102.5. So what does that mean? What it means is that each day they call us up, we're liable for $212,000 a day to, for them to be there, for them to exist. What does that mean for us as an organization? That means that GRU has to pay upwards of $70 million a year to have this in reserve, whether we use it or not. And because of natural gas prices, we're not using it. So we're paying this huge reserve price 
over many years. In fact, we anticipate that we'd spend approximately $2 billion over the next 26 years. That's the reason electric prices are where they're at right now. It's not about seeing three trucks at a site. It's about $70 million that we're paying and have to pass through to the customers. And that's the driver of the, the contract that we're looking to enter into. And what is that contract? It's a buyout of the power purchase agreement. That contract is valuable to Grec, it's costly to us, and for $750 million, we'll avoid paying $2 billion over the next 26 years. We anticipate that to be a savings of somewhere in absolute dollars of $700 million and about $28 million a year, which will reduce uh, customers' rates by approximately 10%. Now, that resets the electric rates. It gets it down to a level that's within or very close to where uh, we anticipated being in terms of being one half of one standard deviation away uh, from the mean for uh, Florida utilities. So that's what we're anticipating doing. Um, what does the contract look like? Very simple, it's an asset purchase and there are protections in there. If interest rates rise more than 50 basis points over the U.S. Treasuries that were set at the time the Memorandum of Understanding was signed, uh, we can terminate the contract. If we don't get to perform the due diligence we want to perform by an independent engineer prior to executing the contract, we'll walk away from the deal. Um, there are reps and warranties that the seller will have to uh, agree to. They will survive the closing. Most importantly, I think what everyone needs to understand is each one of these panelists has actually voted for this purchase. The only difference we're talking about is price. Well, Darren, why don't you introduce yourself and outline some of the concerns that you have about the price or other aspects of the deal. I'm Darren Cook, um, co-owner, co-founder, and uh, I guess co-CEO of Infinite Energy, a company locally that has about 340 employees. We started it um, 23 years ago, and uh, prior to that, I worked for GRU as a natural gas buyer. Um, Thank you. So uh, GRU uh, holds a special place in my heart because they taught me my trade, and I was able to turn that into, uh, with my business partner, um, a, a going concern natural gas and electricity company. My concerns, uh, my degree was uh, from the University of Florida, a great university in statistics, so I'm a numbers guy. So I, I uh, along with, I see Dr. Denslow in the, in the audience, was, who was my economics teacher when I, when I came here um, <laughs> many, many years ago. <laughs> and uh, we both independently came to the same conclusion from a number standpoint, that $750 million is too high for a number of reasons. One, uh, we looked at the Goldman Sachs report that GRU had, uh, uh, I guess, asked them to review uh, what the value was, and they came up with a number between, as a, a big range, but 750 million is outside that range. It was 540 million to 719 million. We also did some expected value uh, test um, as far as an arbitration that we're in, um, and that should have knocked off, uh, from my estimates, anywhere from uh, uh, 65 to $100 million off the price, um, just from an expected value uh, uh, standpoint. And um, finally, uh, 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 Grec has not been a, the best of actors. That's the uh, counterparty. 
And you know if they're jumping at this deal that it's way too high. So those three factors um, uh, told me that we had room, uh, that um, there, there aren't any other buyers because they have one customer who's not very happy, which is GRU. And uh, I, think, um, I think we could uh, hold out. We said, uh, look, we'll stop our arbitration, but you sort of have to consider that in the pricing. And our thought was uh, uh, $675 million. Oh, by the way, part of my background, I'm also the chair of the Utility Advisory Board, um, and Dr. Denslow is also on that board. Uh, and as I said, we both came independently uh, to the same conclusions because we can't talk at these, uh, only at meetings can we talk. We can't talk uh, separately, and we, we came up with those same, same ideas independently. Uh, both numbers, guys. Uh, so that's where we're at. <clears throat> thank you. Harvey? Uh, first, I want to thank uh, Nathan Crabb, the Gainesville Sun, University of Florida Innovation News Center, which has a special place in my heart, and the Bob Graham Center opening on the forum. I was elected two years ago as your District 1 Commissioner at large. However, tonight, I only represent myself, not the City Commission. I want to make that perfectly clear. I ran for office on trying to fix many of GRU's issues and hopefully lowering all our utility bills. My background is I'm a retired CPA with a BSBA in accounting from University of Florida and two years of law school. When I first got elected, I became chairman of the Utility Committee on the City Commission. I then went to work to create the Utility Advisory Board we have today. I strongly urged Darren Cook, who has his sec misgivings maybe, to be on the Utility Advisory Board, and of course he told you he got elected chairman. The word biomass and grec have become toxic in Gainesville, and I would like to turn that around. I want to turn a sow's ear into a silk purse, and I'm hoping the folks in this audience will help me. We have a proposed solution to a big GRU problem. We have a chance to have a solution to buy out the expensive purchase agreement, power purchase agreement, and acquire the plant. So let's discuss that possible solution and not keep asking, which everybody keeps doing, how we got to, into this mess in the first place. Our job is to make some decisions together as a community to solve a very, very big problem. We're paying too much on our utility bills and how are we going to go back fixing and getting rid of this plant or fixing this plant. So I also was one of the 675s <laughs> and uh, I think I, I was the swing vote and we got four votes and for 24 hours I was very happy and 24 hours later one of the city commissions because he heard the word no, decided to fold instead of sticking with the program. You know, when you make an offer to somebody, the first thing they're going to do if you go from 750 to 675 is turn you down. So I was kind of shocked that he folded, and so I didn't have the votes to stick with that. And of course, they voted the next uh, meeting to, to go with the 750, which countered what the UAB had recommended. I'd gone to a lot of work to, to pick a great UAB, and we, we use them for advice, and here they give the most important advice we possibly could get, and we said no. And I thought that was incorrect, because I thought we need, as a community, for once we're all on the same page. And I thought that was a wonderful thing, and I spoke about it. And for 24 hours, I was happy. And now we're stuck with an with a, a MOU that says 750. It's too much. It really is too much. 
but what do we do from here? And so that's the question that comes along, is how do we solve this together as a community and see if we can get on the same page. Thanks. Hey, so what do we do from here? Um, you know, one of the things I, I think Darren brought up in his, um, in his column that he wrote uh, for The Sun on Sunday and that others in the community have brought up is, um, including the county commission, is, is why not wait? Um, why not take this arbitration process through, um, see what it comes up with? You know, everyone um, you know, agrees that the contract was lousy. Some think, well, maybe it's going to turn up something that will allow us to get out of the contract rather than have to um, you know, make this huge investment. So I guess the question is, is, is should we wait? I mean, would, would you say we should wait? Is that what you're proposing, Darren? What I was proposing was is we should have some resolve, meaning um, I, <laughs> from a negotiation standpoint, if we had resolve, I think they would have come down to the 675. They do not want to have discovery or they would have sent us, uh, I, I mentioned um, in, in the article, uh, some of the emails surrounding uh, why, they d uh, why they decided not to uh, uh, do a, uh, um, a maintenance. And I would love to see those emails, but they haven't provided them despite us asking for them, if I'm correct. Um, they mentioned they sent 42,000 emails, but I talked to Mr. Bilarski, 42,000 emails are mainly emails that went back and forth between GRU and GREC. Okay. So the point is, is that I have a, <laughs> Just because they haven't provided them despite repeated asking, there's probably something in there they don't want to be seen. So let's see it. Otherwise, pay us for the privilege of not going through that process. So Ed, why not wait? Why not go through that process? All the while, we wait to have a final deal where we actually can own the facility um, and also liberate that $212,000 a day. We're absorbing that $212,000 a day. In the meantime, we have uh, changes, fluctuations in interest rates. So what about that, that Harvey? I mean, if we, if we delay this any further, are we going to have the potential of possibly losing the savings? I don't really think so. I, I think the marginality of it over the 27 years, I think it's, it's not that big a deal. I think uh, that's a wrong calculation. Now, I realize that interest rates could creep up. Was it they raised the, uh, the short-term rates uh, yesterday, the Federal Reserve, and there'll be probably one more raise before the end of the year. So there is some issues about interest rates. Well, what about but the long-term? What about just the good. savings? You know, just just not having to pay. I mean, if we have to pay correct for another year, what about that? We'll, obviously, that'll be a, a savings that we don't have in the deal. A absolutely, there's 70 million dollars on yeah. the table in one year. Uh, it'll take a while to close, no matter what you do. And of course, then there's the school taxes. Everybody adjusting for the county on their millions. And if it occurs before the end of the year versus after the end of the year, that's another factor that we, you know, these are all factors. I mean, they're, they're legitimate reasons. So, so is this, this is all, it sounds to me what you're saying is this is about uh, improving our bargaining position. Because what has been out there in the community yeah. for a while is that we're going to find that smoking gun somehow that's going to Well, that's a possibility. Well, I, I disagree with that. Yeah. And, and I guess I wonder about that. You, I mean, I guess I wonder, when you say that's a possibility, is, yeah. do you have any evidence whatsoever to, to say I that? know we've asked for abrogation of the contract. Okay. There must be some evidence or we wouldn't ask for that. I mean, let me finish. I mean, he, the odds may not be great, but I'm a stat statistics guy. If the odds are 5%, that's a $65 million expected value. Okay. If the odds are 10%, that's $130 million expected value. So when you're talking, and we've asked for it, I don't know what those emails are going to say surrounding why they didn't do the maintenance. It could be very, I've, I've been through the process of deposition. I've been through the process of legal uh, uh, discovery. 
And some you should see some of the emails people the, the, write. The that is, it's is, like is, is that smoking gun? Gonna, is the arbitration process going to allow us? It's not going to allow us to get out of the contract, right? We'd have to then. Not I've asked them, right? for getting out no. of the contract. Uh, Ed, why don't you? Why don't you give <laughs> so, a, yeah, let, let me jump in here. Someone's been in the arbitration. Um, the arbitration is very narrowly focused. It's related to commercial issues. What Mr. Cook is talking about, Chairman Cook, I'm sorry. It's okay. You can call me Mr. Cook. You can call me Darren if you want. Commissioner, GR <laughs> Okay. Uh, what, what, the, uh, what the arbitration is about is whether they were to take an outage as they had forecasted they would. We believe in the contract it mandates that they do take this outage and that if they just change it, they need to get prior um, um, approval by us. We don't believe they got that approval. Um, unfortunately, we had an employee at the time that it's questionable whether he did or he didn't. So it's what we're talking about with abrogation. If the arbitrator determined that was a material um, impact, it was a material adverse change, he could deem it to abrogate the contract. $4 million on $2.1 billion, it's really hard to determine that that's material. Plus, they have subsequently taken an outage, looked at things that they would have otherwise looked at. So there's an argument that they've cured as well. So we're chasing after the possibility of a gold mine here without lawyers' consent, if you will, because the lawyers don't look at this as being something that hasn't been cured. Um, and there isn't a silver bullet within any of the emails that we've seen. We're not going to see any emails related to the original power purchase agreement. But you will over the, uh, over the, ma over the maintenance thing, right? You yes. will. Yes, and we haven't seen those, correct? But that won't go to the abrogation of the PPA. Yep. It, it will if, it, if they give you a material. Yes, I'm not saying it's a likely outcome. I'm giving it a small percentage chance, but you still have to factor that into the overall odds. Har Harvey, what's your take? Well, we've discussed this, and... and uh, in order to get out of arbitration, which will only just mitigate the, 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 the damage of the free four or five million, you have to have some significant thing that takes you into federal court. I think it would be federal court versus state court. And that's fraud and the inducement. When there was changes made uh, in the, in the uh, contract, and they weren't publicly vetted going from 50 to 100, um, 20 or 30 years, he said, we wanted to, to do those things. Now, we wanted to go 30 years, but I don't know if we wanted to go to 50 to 100, doubling the size of the plant. Obviously, when you double the size of the plant, you'd longer, like a longer payout. So, do you think, so, so, bottom so, line, do you think that there's any chance of us getting on this contract? The only way to do it is to prove fraud, to go to court and get depositions and get discovery and all those and things. And you think that would be worthwhile? The question, the question really is, can, do you have enough standing or they toss you out on your, uh, on your argument? So, so unless you have something strong enough, because the first thing they're going to do is try to throw the, the uh, lawsuit out. And it's, it's a frivolous lawsuit. It's just trying to do this. So they'll, have a summary, uh, they'll put in for a summary judgment, and if they get it, you're done. So it sounds like you're saying it's unlikely. So, but it's unlikely, but it's a possibility. Unlikely, but a possibility. And it, and the, that's, but that's the only way to break a contract. Okay. Uh, I've broken contract. I've, I've been sued by Columbia Motion Pictures. I've been sued by all kinds of people. And I, I'm sorry to say, I've had some, some bad financial things due to the must-carry laws when I had a public company. So I've had my chance to go to court and suffer the consequences of spending a lot of money on attorneys. And it's not a pleasant experience. Me too. And so what we're trying to say is, if we mess with him, 
which is what I'd like, or the fear of messing with him, will stop him from refinancing. Possibility. Okay. So the possibility is that that gets him in the more negotiable. So, okay, so let's so move on. It's, it's a question of if I was in business versus being in government. Every time he's he's listening right now. He's, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, we are yeah, kind of yeah, showing so, our hand right here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I guess it's a public. Uh, it's a public forum. So process. personally, I would have stopped paying him a long time ago, and 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 hell with it. And I would I, I would make the whole case that he'd sue me and I'd sue him, and bingo bingo, we'd go to court. And so then we'd get all kinds of discovery, and then I'd put all kinds of claims. And we sounds kind of costly, though. What's yeah, your, it was costly to do what he's doing right now. Yeah. It's whatever way. dollars is pretty costly. So, so you know, is it worth it? Now, he's, he's, the GRU has gone to all these attorneys. He's very expensive, like $1,000 an hour attorneys, which earns me, but $1,000 an hour for an attorney. And so all of them have reached the conclusion, after looking at what we have now, that it, you don't have a case. What about the costs okay. that, for, that, that will come if, if we use the plan, if we, if we, if we operate it as a, as a major part of our, um, uh, our, our energy production? I mean, you know, things like new pollution controls from, from the federal government. Have we taken into account all the contingencies that could happen in the future that will make this thing even more costly and eat away at some of those savings? Oh, it won't be more costly. In fact, we have... Uh, units in our fleet that are 47 years old, 39 years old, 35 years old. This is less than, you know, five years old, you know, at this point. Um, We're looking at a unit that was built in the 60s. That's our load-regulating unit, Deerhaven 1. It's a gas facility. It's scheduled to be taken out of service in 2023, 2022. Um, that produces anywhere between 25 and 70 megawatts of production. It's the shock absorber on our system. People get up in the morning, they turn on their lights. This is the unit that ramps us up and down so that it can meet that load. We would have to probably spend anywhere from 125 to 150 million to replace that unit in 2022. We believe that we can retrofit this unit to serve as load regulation because it can operate down as low as 50. Contractually, it's not allowed to get below 70. But by doing minimal amount of work. How much are we talking? How does that million, No more than $15 million. WFT is our partner in that. Alex Lorenzo has been collecting uh, questions from the audience and through social media. Is there some things we haven't covered yet that the audience uh, wants to hear about? So the first and main question coming in a lot through social media and different note cards is when you do buy the plant, if you do buy the plant, how do you intend to use it, run it all the time, as needed, and how about the employees that are currently employed by the biomass plant? What's very good about what we've looked at is we consider the savings as though we would keep the plant in cold standby for 26 years. So we're not taking any benefit to when gas prices rise and it becomes beneficial to you. We're saying we're not looking at any benefit to that. We do believe there will be times when we will use it we will keep it fully staffed with GRU folks after there's a transition period. There's a third-party operator that runs the facilities. They're called North American Energy Service. They go by the acronym NACE. Uh, we would probably reach a transition agreement with them so that we could learn from them as to how that operates and keep them on for another year, and then our folks would come on board. 
This is one from the audience. Development of massive natural gas resources promises low prices for natural gas for decades to come. So why should Gainesville remain in the business of generating electricity from wood and coal when we could buy electricity generated from cheap gas at far lower costs? That's what we do by keeping the plant shut down is we get the arbitrage between gas prices and uh, biomass prices. But the available energy is a fixed charge that we're obligated to pay for 26 years. It's $2 billion. We have to do something with that and get it off our books, and we do it based on the arbitrage between our borrowing rate of 3.5% and a return on investment by the, uh, you know, the GREC organization. That creates the benefit. That creates his ability to accept a lower price than the present value of $2 billion over that period of time. That's the reality. We can't, we don't, since we have to spend that $2 billion, there's, you have to do something with it to reduce it. Can I answer that too? Because I'm in the natural gas field. Not literally, of course, field. <laughs> but but, um, but uh, uh, natural gas prices as well as oil prices are really being pressured by um, new technologies like solar. So they're going to, as, as uh, solar keeps rising and use, um, it's going to put more and more pressure on the fossil fuels. So I think it's in a, in a downward spiral uh, in general. Um, I just think, you know, I know we don't want to go back to 2009. One of the things we took as a huge technology risk when we did the biomass plant, I can only imagine with the prices of solar plummeting, $70 million a year, a year would have bought a lot of solar right now. Um, so I, it, just, it just staggers uh, the mind um, when you think of that. But, but seriously, um, it's really not going to be, I don't think, natural gas in the long term. I think it's going to be new clean technologies that are going to, despite what the current administration is saying, I, I think the economic forces are going in that direction. So, I mean, so, I, I think what makes you say that? For instance, we solared our parking lot and our, our, our loan for that is actually the, the payment we make for the loan is less than the savings we make from the solar um, without any help, without any feed-in tariff. So, uh, you know, it's... So, you know, and, and, and what is it, Floor Power and Light is making these big uh, solar um, uh, installations throughout the state. I mean, and I guess my ears perked up a little bit when you said that maybe we can reinvest some of the savings into mm -hmm. something like that. I mean, is, is, is that really a possibility, or is this deal really shackled us, to use one of your terms, into... To not being able to explore those kind of options. No, I, I quite honestly, that's the way you get to that next frontier. That's how you get to those additional investments. We have to look at peak shaving across our organization. At some point, battery storage is going to make solar. Mm -hmm. It's going to blast solar off at that point because right now you have to have fossil fuel backup. You know, we have the solar feed-in tariff, but we need to do community solar as opposed to the feed-in tariff. And we, quite honestly, you know, as an organization. We have to look at rates based on solar. We have to look at rates possibly based on running the biomass plant as a green technology. You know, the model out there is Green Mountain Energy that gives you a cafeteria plan of options that you can buy your rates based on the selection that you want. That's our model, too, in Texas. Not just maybe, maybe I took it from you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's something that we need to do as an organization because for the people that can't afford to have some of that, they, other people can subsidize that somewhat because it's their choice. And I think that's one of the problems you have with a utility, particularly municipal-owned utility, is it gets back to people feel they don't have choice. They feel that you're the utility, they're not, and they don't have a choice. 
So we have to get back toward offering that choice through rates. I will say, too, um, uh, just a a factoid on solar. Uh, Out in California, um, prices during peak time have actually gone negative because solar has taken the load. Right. That's amazing to me. Obviously, there are so many different um, intricacies and nuances to this deal, and I think at the very least, um, having these conversations and, and, and more of this public vetting, hopefully whatever, um, uh, if the deal does get finalized, people at least um, have, uh, feel like their concerns have, have been heard, and I want to continue that conversation in the pages of the Sun, so I encourage all of you um, who, who still have concerns about this to write, to, um, to continue this conversation before uh, the deal is finalized. During the lead-up to this week's meeting about the Alachua County stormwater assessment fee, a listener asked us what exactly it is. Is there a new problem dealing with runoff? And why not just raise property taxes instead? Reporter Arne Holcomb found out the assessment fee is not to be called a tax, although it sounds very similar. Alachua County commissioners will implement a stormwater assessment fee. The new fee applies to property owners outside of the Gainesville city limits. It will raise an estimated $1.3 million to create projects that restore clean water and prevent flooding. Alachua County Environmental Protection Director Chris Bird says the fee is evenly spread amongst residents. We believe that this assessment more equally distributes the the cost of, of the county managing stormwater to where the benefit is and and who's contributing to the stormwater. The fee varies based on home size with the medium-sized home costing $30 a year. Some residents feel that the assessment fee is a tax in disguise, but Bird says that there's a difference between the two. For most people, it's a charge either way, but there's a legal distinction. What we call a non-ad valorem assessment, which is what the stormwater assessment is, That means it's not based on the value of the property. It's based on the amount of um, runoff, stormwater runoff, that the property creates. Bird also says the fee will dedicate money to meet the county's obligation to manage stormwater instead of using the gas tax. Many residents express their opposition to a separate fee. Alachua County resident Gail Murray says the new fee is a burden on the less fortunate. This community has a lot of people that are retired, that are disabled, that cannot afford $30 more because to them, that's a couple of days food. The assessment fee includes farm, nonprofit, veteran, and income-based exemptions. Residents can expect to see the annual fee added to their tax bills in 2018. Arne Holcomb, WUFT News. Thanks for joining us this week for The Point. Keep your great questions coming to us at wuft.org slash findoutflorida. And join us next week in your iTunes or Google Play feeds. Find our daily newsletter at wuft.org slash thepoint. And have a great weekend.